here at Mamlaka Hill Chapel, Ruaka Campus, we have prepared a Christmas series that will remind you the hope in Jesus through his miraculous birth. My name is Philip Maura, and here is today's message. Last week, we started our Christmas series uh, last week, and we were looking at the first-hand experience of a couple called Zechariah and Elizabeth. And this couple, you know, God came to them and promised them that indeed he's going to give them a son, a son called John. And we saw that the name John actually means or means that, you know, God's grace, you know, has been with them. God's favor has been with them. Not it was with them, not that it will be with them, it has actually been with them. And we saw that, you know, they became parents to the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And we were checking on that story and I titled the sermon, Hope for the Anxious, because during that time, the children of Israel, you know, they were very, very anxious. God had been silent for about 400 years. They had not heard about God. They had not seen anything about God. And so they were a bit anxious. And then God at that time comes and comes with the good news uh, of his visitation. And as they were waiting for this, you know, this 400 years, some of them had given up, most likely, you know, and we learned because they were really waiting for God and time was passing. And in that story, we saw that there are two ways, you know, that God looks at time and even us. Number one, we talked about, you know, the, the you know, chronos, where we get chronology, that time lapses in seconds, minutes, hours, weeks, days, weeks, months, years. You know, and certain events must happen within a certain time frame. But also we saw that there is also another one. You know, it's called the Kairos. And that is the time that it is very, very perfect for God. And during that time, God makes a visitation that interrupts our routine and changes forever. You get? And that time is perfect for him. We were reminded of a verse in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 22. When the time is right, I, the Lord, will make it happen. It is, Kairos is not about you. It's about what God has planned for you. And so as much as they felt that God had been silent for 400 years, as much as, you know, the visitation that God was making was making pronouncements that they were not making sense at that time, that Elizabeth, who was, you know, well advanced in years, will have a child, and today we are looking at Mary, who was very young and need not, needed not a child, you know, that that was a perfect timing of God. And we challenge each other that instead of being so preoccupied with the chronos, chronology of time, that we need to sense the move of God. And that is that which comes at Kairos. And so today we are camping at Luke chapter 1. I promised you that uh, we jumped, last week we jumped, we were checking Luke chapter 1 and we jumped verse 26 all the way to verse 56. So that's why we are going to camp today. So if you may please stand with me right there. Luke chapter 1 verse 26 to 56. I'm not going to read all of them, but allow me to read from verse 26 to 38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greetings this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give, the name, you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren in her six, is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, may it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So friends, what we are looking at the story, that before Jesus Christ was born, scripture gives us a picture of how angels were visiting you know, the, the humanity at that time. Angels were coming with a good message. Or even people will be filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesy about this Savior who has been born or who is to be born. And so this was a very special time and very unique time and very significant to the children of Israel who had not had God for about 400 years. So this visit they were showing that someone very, very special, someone who is so big, something grand is about to happen. It is the same when we have, perhaps you hear the president is going somewhere, that there, is some, there are some people who are sent before to prepare and to make sure that you know for sure that the one who is about to come is not an ordinary person. They will send the security details, the protocol details. They have to come and check if everything is fine, the facilities, just to make sure that when the king or the leader or the president come, indeed you have acknowledged that this is a special visitation. So in this case, God will send his people, his, uh, his angels, to come and announce that indeed the time was ripe when Jesus is about to be born. And so at this time, Mary is about 14 to 16 years of age. Maybe 14, 15, they're about. And this was a time that, you know, uh, in this culture especially, you know, people, girls used to get married a bit early. It's very, very different uh, during this time. So, but then they used to get married early. And you can imagine this is a young girl who is preparing to be married and then God comes and makes a visitation that changes everything. And God comes to this dusty village of Nazareth that was about 1,500 people. So it was a very small village. And in any case, this village, it was, as I've said, dusty, you know, desolate. It was not a place for people to go and hang around. It was not a place for people to buy plots, for example. You know, there were no plots, you know, oil, oil plots, you get uh, so any, the plots there, they were affordable, you know, anybody can buy, but no one was willing to buy because it was uh, dusty and most, most likely desperate in hope. So no one really wanted to be in this place. But it is in this village that God comes and finds a known girl in this small village and uh, reveals to her the plan that he has for the salvation of humanity. In any case, people didn't like this village. Actually, there was, a, you know, there was a proverb or a quip that people would say that what good can come out of Nazareth? You know, so people would joke. So if you come in and you say, I'm from Nazareth, you know, people would say, what good can come out of Nazareth? I mean, meaning that even you, you're not good in any way. You get? And so that was it. But we see how 
this girl responds. One verse 27 says, to a virgin, the Gabriel angel, angel Gabriel comes to a virgin pledged to be married. But before you pass that word they are pledged, allow me just me to give you perhaps a background so that you may understand the weight that this young girl, 14 years of age, you know, very, very young, you know, and she had been promised to be, to, to be married to one guy called Joseph, you know, Joe, you know, and they were looking forward. And then all these plans seem to have been interrupted. Allow me to tell you more about what pledge meant. Um, in this culture, the, you know, it comes from, you know, the, when we read Genesis chapter 2, you know, verse 24 there, 23, 24, it says that for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one. And what meant is that if a young man notices a young girl and locates a target somewhere, you know, he will go to this place and spend considerable time at the bride's place so that he may be able to get to know, you know, who this girl really is. You get, because we know that our families of origin really do influence us greatly, especially how we respond and how we live in our marriage. Even in PMCC, premarital counseling classes, we talk about a topic called background and baggage, saying that where you come from really influences you, you know, on how you make decisions. I remember when we got married, you know, and my wife was, you know, we were going through that time of shedding off our backgrounds, trying to bring that unity together. And my wife once say, one day you know, told me, in this bedroom of ours, it seems we are six people. You know, so I looked and wondered who, you know, I was trying to get my towel, where, you know, who are these six people in this room? And, you know, she told me that, you know, I think that our, you know, our parents, you know, whether they are there or not, they are influencing how we make decisions, and rightly so. Because, for example, like me, I grew up in a culture where, you know, in a home where we used to eat ugali with vegetables, right? You know, it's ugali, big, and kidogo vegetables for escort. You know, the, the, the work of the vegetables is to escort the ugali, right? And then my wife grew up in a culture, in a family where for them it's vegetables, you get, and then ugali, you get. So carbohydrates, carbs, measuring, you know, all, all those things. So for me, I didn't know. So you can imagine when she comes and she prepares ugali, and she has brought a lot of vegetables with patko, ugali. You get. So you can imagine that discussion. Like, you want to kill me. You want me to be a weak man, you know. And how she's on the, thinking on the other side, you want, me, you want to die early, you know. You want to carve, you know, all these things, sugar, carbohydrates, and all those things. So a man will take time and go and spend this time. And then when he is impressed, he will make a betrothal to the girl. And promise the girl, I am impressed with you. And the book of Song of Songs record some of the things that they will be given, like a ring. And on that ring was inscribed these words, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. And that ring was a public ceremony. Every, knew, every person knew that this person is engaged and betrothed to so and so. And it was so serious that if one wanted to undo that, they needed to get a certificate of divorce even if they are betrothed, but they're not living together. That's how serious, that's how serious it was, that you needed a religious divorce. And the one to initiate that was actually the groom. It is a groom's work if he's not impressed. You know, go and initiate that and give the certificate of divorce, saying that we have not found, maybe there are uh, elements of unfaithfulness in the relationship, and then divorce. So you can imagine when, you know, when, 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 the, when now this, 
girl, young man who has seen this girl, you know, and now tells the girl, I am yours and you're mine, but you're not married yet. I am going back to my father. And the young man informs the father. And when the father, you know, you know, the father says, my son, sit down there. Let me make a place for you where you can come and be with your bride and where the marriage can be consummated. And so, during this time, the, the, the young lady is left at her parents' place and she waits with that assurance that the one who has promised to come back for me is faithful, is very, very faithful. But the young man doesn't know when the dad will give him the, ch the chance to go and take the bride. And at one time, you know, Christ uses this example very well. At one time, the angel, I mean, the disciples of Christ asked Christ, you know, when will you ever come? When are you coming back? And Christ said, you know, I do not know the hour or the day. And even the angels themselves, they do not know. Only the Father, implying that only the Father knew the day. And at one point also, you know, Jesus shares a parable of the ten virgins, you know, who had been promised that their husband-to-be will come back for sure. And at one point they gave up because it, uh, the, 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 the groom delayed. And we are encouraged as Christians to know that we are equally betrothed to Jesus Christ. And he who has said that he'll come back, we must say with that assurance of faith that indeed he who has promised is faithful and will come back for us. In the book of John chapter 14, you know, Christ says that I am going and in my father's room, in my father's house, there are many, many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I'll come back for you. And we must say with that assurance that Jesus Christ is going to come back for his bride. And that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. He is not going to deny you. He has told you that you are my beloved. And the bride, hopefully, will accept that. Because it meant that there was mutual consent from the groom and the bride-to-be. At one point, even Christ says that I stand, be, you know, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me and open the door, I'm going to come in, I will eat with you, and you will, you will eat with me. And so in this story, we are reminded that Christ is going to come back. Actually, Paul thinks about it in the book of Romans chapter 8, chapter 8 verse 38, and says that I am convinced, I am convinced, so there is no way that you can unconvince him, so to speak. He says, I am convinced that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That neither death nor life, heights or depths, angels or demons, present or the future, there is nothing that can separate because he who has said that he is faithful, he is going to come back for you. He will. And so we must stay firm in that promise that indeed Christ is going to come back for us. Anyway, let me go back to my story. So you can imagine... Now, Mary has been promised by Joseph that I am going to come back for you. And so, she is there waiting for this husband, for this guy who has promised her that I am going to be with you. But then, God comes with this visitation that seems from our end that it was ill-timed, it is disruptive, and if what God is saying, that Mary will become pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit, and conceive a child, then that's going to bring a lot of shame. That is going to disrupt the plans that they have. Her family name is on the line. 
You know, the whole village will speak about her, how she was unfaithful. And even when her husband-to-be, Joseph, learns about that, you know, he planned to divorce her secretly because he was a righteous man and a devout man. It took the intervention of the angel in a dream where the angel would tell him, please do not divorce that girl. I am the culprit. So you can only imagine even the confusion that Joseph has after that. How God, you know, you are the cup, how? And so, this disruption is not easy for Mary. And I want you to know the weight that was on the little shoulders of this young girl. Many times I tend to, you know, when couples are getting married here, you know, and the groom stands, even in this church, the groom stands this side, and the girl stands this side on the right of the pastor because girls are always right, you know, she's, you know, she stands here. And when the bride is walking down the aisle, sorry, in this church is up, up the aisle. And, you know, I normally whisper to the groom, what would you, what do you, what would you do if at this moment when your bride is walking, you hear the great trumpet of the Lord at this time that the Lord has come to take his people? And the guy tells, uh, the guy tells me, I'll tell Jesus to stop and wait until this ceremony is over, you know? And maybe that's the reason why Jesus has delayed because there are many grooms who do not want him to return at that moment before they enjoy this gift of marriage. No one wants to be interrupted when they are planning for their wedding. And so this girl is interrupted by the, by, by, by the angel of the Lord. And she's told that indeed she's going to conceive. This is a miracle. But this miracle is, has come too early. You know, this is a prayer that people make when they get married. You know, God bless us with a child. Not now when I'm not yet there. And also, you remember also Elizabeth that we read last week. Also, the prayer is answered way late. You know, the, her prayer would have been answered way ahead. You know, years gone by. And to Mary as well. Please, this prayer, I mean, this miracle, this answer has come too early. But you must see that within the, uh, the context of God's timing. That the kairos, that his time is always perfect. His time is always perfect. And so the angel comes and says greetings to this girl. And this is an older version. Of, uh, the older versions of the Bible would have said hail, which was an informal way of saying hi. You get hi to you, you know. Um, or VP, if the angel would have come now. VP, if you are in central province, he would have said hey. You know, and then you say, hey, you get an informal way of greetings. Then a startling announcement of a virgin conception. That the creator of the universe, the one who sustains it, the one who was there before the foundations of the universe and its galaxies and its atom were put in place, the one who always pre-existed, will be contained now in the little womb of this 14-year-old. And he will be a resident there. For nine months, and without losing his deity, only adding to himself, to his deity or divinity, only adding to himself humanness. That now this God is now to become a human and is going to reside in the womb of this young girl. And I looked at that I was, as I was preparing, and I was intrigued at how God sometimes seems to take delight in interrupting our lives. And Especially things that break us down. And that you must sense the divine disruption of God. And if we respond, whether it's a good disruption or a bad one, 
depending on how you interpret it. If we respond with submission, with faith, and worship, we glorify him. God is delighted when he interrupts our routines, but we respond to that with faith, with submission, and with worship. So in verse 30, we see, um, in verse 30 there, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you, you have found favor with God. So this news that has come, you know, indeed, it's, you're going to, you're, you're highly favored, and rightly so, because this young girl, you know, God will spend time in her womb, and so she's highly favored, and we must honor that, that indeed she is highly favored. The word there that we read last week is, a, you know, the, the, the word James, uh, John, which means that God is gracious. God has favored you. And there was a reason for her to be afraid because God was going to invade human life and definitely she needed that affirmation from God himself. And then she's told what the son is going to do, that the son will fulfill a promise made by God hundreds of years before, especially to David. And you can read this story in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And he is to be given the name Jesus, which is a form of the name Joshua, which means deliverer or savior. Then in verse 34, she asks, how will this be? You remember last week we read about our friend Zechariah and how he asked, you know, the angel, you know, uh, man, I'm, I'm, we are well advanced in years. And he responded in doubt. And you might think that God was harsh on Zechariah and not to Mary. What Mary is asking here the question that she's asking here is about the process. She's not doubting. It's about the process. You get, how will this be? And yet I'm a virgin. So the process of how she's going to conceive. And then God tells her that, you know, I'm go you, she's going to be overshadowed by the Spirit of God. And here the word overshadow here, I think I was trying to think, what does it mean? And meaning that, you know, that the, 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 the Holy Spirit will cast influence on her and she'll be able to conceive. And then in verse 37 says that because nothing is impossible with God. Thinking about Elizabeth and Mary, the promise that Mary has been given. There is nothing that is impossible with God. I do not know if you realize that. Because in our lifestyles today, there are many things that we can be able to do that we diminish the power of God in our lives. We do not see the power of God in our lives because we can be able to reason and we can be able to find Reasonable facts about why certain things are not working. And then we give up on trusting in God. God says here that he is the one who perhaps, you know, does the impossible things. That he specializes in doing the impossible things to us. I do not know if you believe this. I do not know what limitations you have imposed on God today. May you leave this place knowing and having that assurance that there is nothing impossible with God. And then after that, in verse 39, uh, in verse 39 38, we see her response. And we're going to spend just a few minutes here looking at this response, how she responds. She responds like this. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. Simple, direct. And in here, I see how she responds as a, with a heart that is submitted to the Almighty God. I am your servant. I am your servant. This challenge that you have given me, I am just your servant. I'm your instrument. May you do that which pleases you, O oh God. 
I pray that what we can learn from this story is to learn to submit to God. Even when the reality and the facts on the ground seems not to favor us. The facts on the ground are not palatable. It's not what we wish or what we want. That we can submit to God and we submit to his agenda even when it hurts, even when it disrupts us because he alone reserves the right to do that which pleases him. I pray that we cultivate that heart of submission even during this time of Christmas. And may I ask, what's your attitude towards God when he has permitted perhaps painful and shameful things to happen to you? What has been your attitude when you know for sure, God, your hand has been heavy upon me and you have allowed this hard thing, whether maybe it's pain or even grief, to occur to you? Are you submitting to God and saying, Lord, I am your servant. Do that which pleases you with me. We need to respond with submission when we know that indeed God is in charge. When you know that God is in charge, you can respond with submission. And I pray that you know that everything that happens in our lives as God's children, that indeed God has a greater plan and a greater even greater will for us so that his name may be glorified. Second thing that we see there is that she responds with faith. Mary answered, may it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left. May it be to me as you have said. And I see here Mary anticipates that that which the Lord has said will happen to her. And faith is that strong belief that which Noel knowing that that which God has promised will take place and that which he has promised will become your experience. As much as time doesn't make sense, time is running quickly, I do not know how God works, but faith, if you respond in faith, we are saying that that which you have said, indeed, is going to become my experience. And later, when you read in verse 45, if you jump there, Elizabeth affirms this there, she says, Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her, that it will be accomplished. And anyone who responds in faith is a blessed child of God. Sometimes we worry. And we believe that God may get that which he has promised wrong. That is worry. You know, you hold back and you clench your fist. You know, and you are just like this, you know, hoping that that which God has promised will actually happen. And you are worried. That is worry. But faith is knowing and responding with an attitude of a, of a God that if God, you know, that God got it right, God will get it right. That is faith that we need to respond with to the things that God causes and permits them to happen. Finally, Mary responds in worship. Verse 9 says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. In that moment of excitement, then Mary erupts with a song of worship. Most likely I was wondering, when, when did she write this song? Maybe she had written it maybe as she was on the way. She had thought about it. And this song is called Magnificent, the Magnificent. You know, coming from just the first words there, where it says, my soul glorifies or my soul magnifies the Lord. And in this story, or in this song, and allow me to read it for you, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He extends his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our forefathers. And when you read this word, they are rich, rich words. Time may not be enough for us to go through it. But there are more than or about 12 allusions or images from the Old Testament in this song. And that shows to me that this girl had spent a lot of time reading and immersing herself in scriptures at 14 years of age. Perhaps this is a challenge for us as parents. How many? If your child was given a chance, perhaps to be able to think about who God is, what are the words that you say? What are the words that he will be able to say? And so, as parents, I think we are challenged. And I thank even the parents who always bring their children here. So that they can be encouraged and they can be inspired with God's truth. And you saw the recital that was happening here with those children. And you are able to bless and to glorify the Lord that these children, as young as they are, they are able to recite all this. And so Mary was able to recite all this from the Old Testament. And she recognizes first in verse 47, and my soul rejoices in God my Savior. She also recognizes that also even for herself, she needed the Savior as well. She needed the Savior as well. So as much as she will carry this child, also this child will be able to deliver her. From the song, you might know uh, the, the, the Christmas song that, that says, Mary, did you know? One of the lines there says, this child that you delivered will soon deliver you. She acknowledges that this child that she's carrying, that indeed we also deliver her. And so my question is this. Will you be offended by God's voice or actions, the things that God has done? Or are you going to respond to that with a joyful praise? Mary submits to God. Mary responds in submission and in faith and in worship to the Lord for what the Lord has promised for what the Lord is about to do. And, you know, I was just preparing, I thought about Mary, and perhaps all these things, even these response, responses that she gives, and how, you know, the good job that she did as a mother, being there, because these responses opened her to new doors of parenting, once she stayed close to her son. You may remember, 
that, you know, even when Jesus Christ, you know, they had gone to, 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 to the temple and to have this feast, and then the whole crowd was going back to their home, and Jesus, you know, slept and was left in the temple. You know, and she went back there to look for her son together with Joseph. And Jesus looks at them and says, don't you know that I'm in my father's house? You can't remember the, you know, as a mother, a child will tell you, watch out, Mimi, let me be, be able to hang around here. But she still nurtured this young boy. And at one point in Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 51 there, it says this word that I so much loved. Chapter 2, verse 51, it says, And Jesus, and then he went down to Nazareth with them, that is Jesus, and was obedient to them. Also the, the, the other part, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And I see the contribution of Mary there, that she created a good environment where this young man, who is God, you know, will be able to grow socially, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, but also even physically. She became a nurturer. She also became an encourager. You may remember when she, you know, they went for this wedding in Cana of Galilee. And when she was there, you know, the wine, you know, Jesus came with this uh, full entourage. You get with many people perhaps who had not been invited. Maybe that's why the wine was over. You know, and, you know, and Mary comes and whispers, you know, they do not have wine. And Christ says, you know, my time has not yet come. And just like an, any African mom, you know, she dashes to the servant and says, do that which he says, obey him. And so Mary encourages the son. And that became the first miracle. She was a witness of the first miracle of her son of our Lord Jesus Christ. Also, she became a close witness of the work of Christ and even the hardest of it all. When she had to look at her son being humiliated, shamed, his body mutilated, and even him being killed on the cross. And she thought about this son that she has taken care of. And she saw life ebbing out of him so that mankind, her included, may be saved. I wonder how she went home. This response in faith has taken her to the lowest point in her life, including herself. And a sword, as one had prophesied, and a sword pierced through her heart because she had responded to faith. But that is where her hope is, that indeed, her equally, she will be redeemed. So friends, even as we come to an end of this story of Mary, the first Christmas was not the usual Christmas. It was not the way we see Christmas. And we have to go back there and ask, how did the people respond? And we see Mary here responding, as I have said, in submission, in faith, and worship. And my question is, how do we respond to God today? Where do we feel or where do we turn when we feel like the whole world is so distant from us? I pray that you'll be able to respond in submission, in faith, and in worship of the true God. When relationships are in crisis, what do you do? You must respond with submission to God, with faith to God, and also in worship. When you are experiencing moments of pain and grief, how do you respond? I pray this Christmas you respond in submission, in faith, and in worship as Mary did. 
What do you do even when God has done great and wonderful things to you? And you're looking back at how the year has been and you are, you know, you're tempted to say thank you to Lord. Thank you to God for how he has favored you. May you respond in submission, in faith, and also in worship. And when we think about that, then we have the confidence to celebrate Christmas because we know that indeed we have responded to our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came to dwell amongst men, the one who came to be amongst us, the one who has said that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. We can celebrate Christmas with submission and with faith in him and also with worship, for he deserves our worship as well. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. Amen. And now we can end. Amen. And now we can end with the words. You know, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. May the Lord bless you and may you have a lovely and a wonderful time this week.